Uh, this is a great month to be here uh, because we, we're getting a chance to really kind of key in on, you know, who are we as church? What is God calling us to today? I, uh, I remember hearing a story a, a few years back about uh, Russell Crowe when he uh, bought the South Sydney Rabbitohs. How many, we got any South Sydney Rabbitohs fans? I thought that could be the response. They're in the, uh, the NRL, National Rugby League. I, uh, I'm, I'm more of a, uh, an NBA fan. Do we have any NBA fans? I'm an NBA fan. But uh, I've had my heart broken so badly in the last uh, few weeks here that I'm just looking for new sports. And so I decided I'm going to check out the NRL and see what, what's there. So anyway, uh, in my, my, my favorite and hometown Cleveland Cavaliers were, were abruptly uh, swept out of the finals. Now, it's been painful, but I'm uh, going to be meeting with the prayer ministry team after church, and I'll be all right. So I'll be all right, and if you feel similar, you should join me. So, but uh, I may hear this story about Russell Crowe. He bought... Uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, they, they had gone through a pretty rough stretch in the, in the 1990s. And the, uh, it was kind of once a pretty storied franchise. And they were in tatters. The year 2000, I think, even they got kind of out of the league. They were out of the NRL. They came back into it in 2002. Russell Crowe really wanted to help breathe uh, kind of the former sort of glory and life back into this team. At one point with some of the new players, he asked them, do you know uh, what team in the NRL actually has won the most premierships in, in its history? And he was amazed that no one on the team knew. And the actual answer was the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So they had this whole team of players who really were completely blind to, had no idea about the history of the club that they had belonged to. And so what he did, it was a pretty cool idea, he commissioned this guy who was sort of a historian on the club to write this book. And he called it the Book of Feuds. And what he wanted was this guy to detail every sort of detail of every rivalry that the South Sydney Rabbitohs had with every other uh, team in the competition, every other club, every other franchise. Had a little bit of a bitter bent to it, you know, remember everything they ever did wrong to us, and, but remember all the victories we had, remember every kind of key call that came from a, a, a referee, all these things. He said, I want you to commission. So the guy writes the history of the South Sydney Rabbitohs and every other club in the NRL, and before one of the games when Russell's trying to get the guys sort of fired up, he goes into the locker room, and he has his book, and he's made now like, you know, like this giant storybook looking thing. And he sits down in this locker room with all the, all the players, and he opens this book, and he, and he kind of makes a bit of fun of it, and he blows all this dust out of the middle of it. And he makes this kind of scene, he's brushing all the dust off this book and going, I'm going I'm to read to you the story of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. This is our history. And he began to do this before each game. And so before they go into the game to play a particular club, he would read the history of their rivalry with that club. And his whole idea, the whole reason for it, and some of the guys who really ended up enjoying it, some of the other players started to read from it as well before games. It was kind of a, the whole idea behind it was, he was like, I want you to understand this is who we are, and this is our history. This is the stories we came from. So in light of all this, now as you go on to the playing field today, this is how you should play. That was his goal. That was his dream. You know, my hope over this month, as we do kind of reflect on uh, who, who we are as church, where we're going as church, what God dreams for us as a church, the reason we're going to be uh, spending some time in the book of Acts is because for us, Acts is the stories of the church. 
how the church began, what God was doing through it. This is kind of the dream. These are the visions, and we get to realize that today, you know, we meet here as a church, a local community of Jesus followers. That's who we are. If you're new, you are invited to be a part of this community of people who are set out to follow Jesus. That's what a, a church is. And we realize when we read the book of Acts, and we read these stories of what they did, this is our story as well. This is not something that was just written a long time ago. It's a story that God is still writing today. And so over this month, we're just going to spend time going, you know what, looking at these stories, and they, this is what they did. And my hope and my prayer is that it might lift our vision to be reminded once again, this is, this is who God calls us to be. This is what being a church, a community, follows Jesus is all about. We're going to start today by looking at a story, uh, and it's the story of the church, the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And the, uh, the church in Ephesus is a famous church. Uh, it, it's, it's got a letter written to it that's part of the New Testament for us. The letter, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the letter written in this church. And I want to take us back to the beginnings of this church for a moment. Paul, uh, the apostle, he was sent out. And he went everywhere he could telling people the good news who Jesus was. He got on ships. He went on foot. He did whatever it took. Now, in one of his journeys, he was sailing and he went to Ephesus. And uh, made his way there. He had sailed. He made his way to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was like a, a major metropolitan center. You know, in the ancient world, in the Greek world, this was, this, was a, this was a Sydney. This was a New York City. It was a huge city, major center where people are coming and going, big population for its day. The thing about Ephesus, it was also quite unique because at the center of sort of the, the heart of this city and, and community and culture was this uh, Greek god. And there was this famous temple and this whole stadium dedicated to the Greek god Artemis. And Artemis was very much at the center of their culture, even at the center of their economy in so many ways. So Paul goes to this city, this big city, and he does what he usually does. He finds a, a synagogue. It's where the, the, the Jewish believers were meeting. That's the, the, the soil from which the Jesus comes out of. So he would go to these synagogues, and he would go to these people who had the, uh, the, 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 the book of the covenant, what we would call the Old Testament. And he would go there and begin to talk to them about who Jesus was and how he is now the way. And we find life in him. So he goes to this particular synagogue, and everybody's like, we don't want to hear a bar of it. We don't like what you're saying. We don't like what you're doing. And they basically kind of go, just get out of here. So it says instead, he found a, a lecture hall. So he goes to this lecture hall where these philosophers, you know, kind of place where they might have gathered. He, he gets, uh, a, a, an, a, he, he goes there, and it tells us for two years, two years, every day, he would go there and have discussions about the way of following Jesus and what this was like. And so many people are clearly coming because in the next verse in Acts 19, it tells us that every uh, Jew and Greek in the province of Asia ends up getting to hear the good news of Jesus. You know, so much is happening. You know, people are coming, they're conversing, they're hearing, they're sharing, they're spreading. It tells us in, in that every Jew and Greek in the province of Asia gets to hear the good news of Jesus. It's a pretty amazing kind of run for a couple of years. Stuff's spreading, stuff's growing. Then, uh, not only does, are things kind of moving uh, so much, but some pretty powerful things are happening. Uh, it's there. And I encourage you, maybe even this afternoon or this week, go to Acts 19 and uh, Acts 20. You'll be able to read all this. But I'm, I'll give you the summary today. 
There's so many great things going on that in, in Ephesus, it tells us that Paul did many extraordinary miracles. You know, Paul has always kind of known that miracles would fall him where he would went. But it gets highlighted that in this space, extraordinary miracles happen. It was enough to be touched by one of his handkerchiefs and people were kind of healed and experiencing things. So extraordinary things are happening. Then there comes a moment where uh, there, there's this kind of unique uh, whole whole story takes place of uh, where, where there's these guys, they're trying to... Uh, cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they don't really know, actually in Paul's name, they don't really know Jesus though, and they end up getting beat up and, and uh, by this guy who's demon-possessed. It's a pretty incredible story, the seven sons of Sceva. They get beat up, they get humiliated. A bunch of people are like, man, Jesus, it's continuing to grow. Like, Jesus must really be the way. He must be the way, the truth, the life. People are growing this. And so all these people, they had all these other kind of religions and things they were practicing, and it says they brought all their stuff, their old scrolls, all their old gear, and they, they turned into a giant bonfire, and they're like, we're turning from all this, and we want to follow Jesus. And they burned so much stuff that it's worth probably in our money today maybe $5 million. Incredible moment. Like this is a city that is now literally being turned on its head. I mean, $5 million worth of stuff. Imagine, you know, what, what kind of... Uh, News would have spread. Imagine what kind of impact that would have had. So now so many people are starting to follow Jesus in this city, in the church, in Ephesus. Uh, that, uh, there comes this other, you know, as I said, there's a, this Greek god Artemis, very much the heart of the economy. The whole kind of city, a lot of things revolved. They, they sell idols made out of silver that are part of your worship at the temple. And other artifacts, they sell them all. So there's this guy, his name's Artemis. And he's a silversmith. So he uh, works with silver. He makes these idols. And he starts to realize, now wait a second. If everybody's starting to leave Artemis, and they're all going after this Jesus we're hearing about, uh, you know, that's actually going to affect my bottom line. That's going to have an impact on my life. That's going to, you know, where's, what's going to happen to my business? So he starts gathering a whole bunch of other people whose livelihoods and things revolved around the worship of Artemis. And he's like, you know, hey, guys, this is not good. Everybody's going to forget Artemis. We're all going to be in big trouble, and everything's going to, this just, this is not good, what's happening here, all these people following Jesus. So then he gathers, uh, all these people start hearing this, and they end up going down to their version of the Perth Arena. So they've got this giant theater, and it looks a lot like the Perth Arena. If you see the ruins, it was blue, it's got these hexagons, it's got, it's amazing. It's where they got a lot of designs for it. As I understand, it finished way over budget and over time, but it ended up all right. It's not actually blue. It's built out, built out of limestone. I don't even, you know, but so anyway. But here's the thing about this arena. Imagine this for a moment. This is their version of Perth Arena. It seats 25,000 people. And we're told that it gets packed out with people rioting because everyone is now beginning to follow Jesus. Now this whole thing, it is going on. It's a commotion. It's a riot. Paul is like, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go talk to him. And he's telling people, I want to go. But it, we're told that, you know, some of his kind of disciples are like, dude, do not go there. It will not end well. It's not going to be good. And they're kind of restraining him. He's getting letters from officials going, please, Paul, don't go down there. It's a hot mess. Like, just leave it alone. And so, uh, he, which he ends up doing, and a, a clerk comes and clears it all up eventually. And here's what I want you to just imagine for a moment. This is a story of what the church is like. Can you imagine a scenario where what is happening through the church of Jesus Christ in our city is of such a proportion 
that it packs out Perth Arena with people going, what is going on here? This is not a gathering of just a few people seem to be getting on. In some, this is changing the culture of our city. This is literally messing with everything that our city's built on. Can you imagine a movement that huge and influential? Where the church is not just touching the lives of a of, of few people who gather in one little place, but it is having a radical impact on people who don't even really know what the church is about. We're even told in that crowd, everybody's riding, 25,000. It's got this great little comments. Like most of them didn't even know what they were there for. It's been true of crowds forever, hasn't it? You know, like train wreck, stop, crowd. You know, it's that kind of vibe. But imagine that. What would it look like? Do you know what I, I think sometimes? And this is my hope as we come to some of these scriptures. We sometimes think about, boy, what, what is a church and what would that be like? Well, I'd like to find a church that would be a nice place, a good place I could go or something like that. Our vision is sometimes way too small, isn't it? Like how often do we dream and envision? No, we, we think this could actually influence the entire city, our entire community. This could be something that doesn't just affect a few people. It could change things. And, and, and the wrestle we even have with that vision is something that we have to take seriously and go, this is, this is our story. Now, what I love about this story as well is so all this stuff has happened, uh, you know, two years teaching in the lectures hall. All these believers, you know this thing was spreading because it had spread to the point that it was affecting the entire economy of the city, thousands, right, all these things. Like, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, they had a pretty good run over this stretch time, some incredible things happening. Then after that, the, the whole riot kind of quiets down. Paul goes on to another place. He's always on the move. He's sailing. He goes here. He goes there. We're told at another point then a little bit later on in his journeys, he goes to a place called Miletus. It's kind of close to Ephesus. Now, remember, he spent some time there. He spent a couple years there. He decides to send for the Ephesian elders. So the the people that were left there to look after all this growing community, all the, the church that was there. He says, I, wanna, I want those overseers, those who are shepherds, those who are in charge. I want them to come meet me here. So he shoots them a text. He's like, guys, I'm in Miletus. You know, if you meet me there. And they're like, you know, they sent back one of these to him. And they're like, yeah, we'll be there like real soon. And so they make their way from Ephesus to Miletus. And they come meet him there. And Paul at this point is like, hey, guys, I want you to know something. I'm about to go to Jerusalem. That's where I'm going next. I feel like it's what God wants for me. But I have a feeling like I don't think it's going to go down well. And Paul was right. He knew what was coming up ahead. And he was about to get thrown into prison. And a whole series of events was going to end up taking off from Jerusalem. But Paul's like, so he gets him there. And he's like, come here. I need to talk to you. And he's like, I want to give you kind of this final, uh, we call it his farewell to the Ephesians elders. And he gives him this farewell speech. He's like, I'm never going to see you again. But after all this time we spent together, I just want to leave you with some parting words. And I want you to know, you know, that, you know when I was with you, I, I preached and taught you everything I know about the word of God. I gave you kind of everything I had. I worked hard with my hands. I tried to set an example. I tried to model it, live it. That's kind of the core. And he's like, so now you go be good overseers and continue. Because I don't think you're ever going to see me again. And I want to take you to the very last moment of that. He goes through his entire farewell speech to them. And we're just going to read uh, this little snapshot of how it kind of wraps up his connection with the Ephesians church. It says, when he had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. Can you imagine this? You know, they've all been gathered there and they're talking and he's, he's sharing all his kind of final words of wisdom and commissioning all these things to him. And they get all done and, and they're like, you know, 
Let's pray. And they kneel, and they're all praying. And it says, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement they'd never see his face again. You know, imagine all the thoughts going through their minds of days spent in that lecture hall. Imagine all their thoughts of that time everybody burned all their skulls. Imagine all their memories of the, the riot uh, down, in the, down in the arena. Imagine all they've been through together and they're just weeping because they realize they're never going to see him again. And I love this last phrase in the starting next chapter. It says, and after we had torn ourselves away from them. So Paul and Luke and traveling companions, they have to tear themselves away from them. Because so deep is their, their love for one another. He says, after we had torn ourselves away, we put out to sea and sailed straight to cost. And he continues on his way. Now what I love about this, this little moment, and, and when I was reading through Acts, and I encourage you to do that at, through this series. Find a time to sit, and my encouragement to you be, you could read like one chapter a day, you read through all of Acts, it's 28 chapters. I encourage you, maybe find a little moment and just read through the whole book and try to read it as fast as you can. The book of Acts is an amazing book when you actually just read it, read it, read it consecutive, when you see the story kind of happen in real time. And I was reading this myself and going through it and got to this moment. And just imagine this moment of these guys all weeping and just remembering and thinking and I'm sure reflecting and everything that would go along in a moment like this of all they had seen God do together, all the moments they'd been part of. And what I loved about it is you just see this incredible depth of relationship amongst these people, don't you? You see this, this was not a group of people who were like, yeah, cool, you know, onward to Jerusalem, that's great. We got our, this was like, man, you, they loved one another. They had a depth of connection. This was like, you know, if you've ever, you know, been a part of a group or a, a team that, that, that did something together or, or just a goal that you worked with a bunch of people on a project, you know this. There's something that happens amongst people in, in spaces like that when you're all working together. That's just a unique dynamic. And, and these guys had been on this mission together that was so deep it had pulled them into this, in, this incredible love for one another. And I thought this would be as well helpful today because I'm feeling called to the island of Rottnest and I'm going to be putting off setting sail at three. And if you want to say goodbye to me, there's no signal over there, but someone has to go. And I'm just, you know, I just, I just love that thought of, you know, we sometimes, our vision, some of us, you know, we think, you know what, I want a church because I hope, hopefully I'll meet some people that we could be like friends. Can I tell you something? Our vision for church is so low sometimes. God, do you know where you get the depth of relationship where you cry and weep at a goodbye is when you have been on mission together for something that mattered so deeply that it just knit your hearts together. In an incredible way. That's what we see here. And when I imagine, when you think about, you know, what would it be like to be a, a, a church like the church we see in Ephesus? What would it be like to be that kind of community of Jesus followers? You know, a place where you're just seeing God do such incredible things that it cannot be ignored. 
and where you see this kind of depth of commitment and love for one another, that to be torn from one another was like, oh, crying tears of sadness to not see one another, but no doubt a sense of tears of joy for all you've gotten to experience together as well. And I want us just to reflect, and when, when I think about that, and I think, you know, what, what does it look like? How do, we, how do we become more and more that kind of church? That's my hope. That's my dream. I don't think any of us want to just be a church where you just kind of get to do it. I think in our heart of hearts, we all want to be a part of something that matters, that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. And I want us to look where, where we'll kind of camp for a few moments today is we get this great insight. How do you get there? How do you become a they? I mean, you look at these guys weeping and crying and praying together, kneeling before a, a setting sail. This was a they, you know. They were a people. They, were, they had been through things. They wept together. They celebrated. They saw together. They, they were a they. How do we become a they like, like them? You know, and, and, and I think we get this great little snapshot in Acts 20, 24. In Paul's speech, his farewell speech to the elders, is this one verse I want us just to key in on for a few minutes here. He gets, he kind of pulls back the curtain for a moment. And you get to see what was in the DNA that made a guy like Paul tick. What was in his heart? What was his heartbeat? What drove him? What was he, you know, what was it? You know, what makes a guy the kind of guy who's like 25,000 people riding? Probably want to like, you know, Knock out the first guy who comes in. Yeah, I want to go there. I want to talk to him. You know, what makes him go, I'm going to Jerusalem. I think I'll probably end up in chains, could die. What makes a guy like that tick? Because you see this DNA that was in Paul. It got planted inside this church, and it was clearly to have the kind of influence they had. This was a heartbeat of Paul's that got into the heartbeat of this church that turned them into this incredible movement. And here's one of the things that Paul says. And then we get this little snapshot. He says, this is what... This is what made him tick. This is his heartbeat. This is what drove me. He said, however, because he's, he's telling them, look, I know I'm going to Jerusalem. It's not going to end well, but I'm compelled by the spirit. I know it's where I got to go. He says, however, this is, what, this is how it looks to me. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news. Of God's grace. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Yeah, I might get beat up. Yeah, I might go to jail. But you know what? My life is not what I consider of great value to me. I got some things that matter more. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave me. He's so clear what Jesus had called him to do. He's like, that's what I'm focused on, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know, this morning, if you are here and you think, you know what, I, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a person who lives a life like that. I want to have a vision for life that can take me in that kind of direction. This verse is huge. There is so much in it. And I want us just to unpack it for a moment. Do you know what you see that Paul had that so often we don't? He had a whole new set of values. He had a whole new vision for life. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Can I tell you something? That is the exact opposite of our natural inclination in life. Our natural value in life is my life is of great worth to me. And I will do what I need to to protect it or to flourish it or to, you know, make sure that I'm comfortable or I'm experiencing or moving towards my goals, my hopes, my dreams. Paul says, look, this is my mentality. My life isn't really 
of great, it's not of great value. It's worth nothing to me. He's like, whether I live, whether I die, whether I go to jail, it doesn't matter. I got nothing to lose. Like, I'm, I'm past the point of it being about me. He had this absolute outward focus in life. That it's no longer about me. It's about the good news of God's grace for others. Can I tell you something? If we, this, this is what allowed him to be on mission. If we want to be on mission the way that Paul was, we actually have to start by adopting this new set of values. This is totally counterculture. When you even say it out loud, you probably feel the sense of like, really, I'm supposed to not value my life? That doesn't feel right? Can I tell you, this is the wisdom of Christ who tells us, you want to find your life, you have to lose it. You want to gain, you'll have to lay it down. You want to follow me, you'll have to take up your cross. And Paul says, I've got that. And part of why he could live with such joy, freedom, abandon, and be on mission for Christ is he was like, it's no longer about me. It's not about my life. One of the translations says, I don't think about my life as something. I'm not of the opinion that my life is precious. His point is like, that's not what's precious to me. I got other things that matter more. He says, and, and those things, he says, my only aim. He says, instead, instead of the kind of my life that's about me, he says, my only aim, I've got one goal. One focus, and that's to do what Jesus asked me to do. Do you know, one of the great challenges we, we have is to both go, okay, look, I'm not going to, my life will not be the priority anymore, but if I'm going to be on mission with Christ, I have to also say, here is what is now my top level goal. I've been listening to a book called Grit. It's by a lady named Angela Duckworth. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. It's a great book, social psychologist, got a great TED talk, you can check that out. But she talks about how when we're choosing direction in life and things we go after, you know, sometimes we just think, you know, hey, I've got a goal here. I've got a goal there. But what we sometimes lose sight of is that we all actually live with and operate a, a set of a hierarchy of goals. That we all have different goals. So, you know, for myself, I've got goals for my family. I've got goals for things that, that you know, I want to happen there. I've got goals for my health, you know, and, and my fitness. Don't ask me about them. But I have goals <laughs> for them. I heard it's good to have goals. And um, and I got goals, you know, got goals for finances, got goals for, you know, dreams, different things you want to achieve in life, do places to go. Got lots of different things. But the reality is what we sometimes lose sight of is that something will always become our top-level goal. Sometimes we choose it intentionally. Sometimes something ends up there by default. In fact, I got a little picture. This is to give you a little visual representation. Uh, I think we got a, a picture of it. This is the way she kind of breaks it down. And, and you realize this. All of us have a number of goals, which are what then determine our actions in life. But what we must choose is what is our top-level goal in life. Sometimes there can be good things. Let's say myself, maybe I've got these three goals. I've got goals, say, in my, my family life. I've got uh, goals, you know, in my health or my finances. You know, I can, if I'm not careful, and what we all probably experience at times is if I don't remain focused, one of those goals that's a good goal can end up becoming the top goal. And suddenly now it becomes all about my family. Or now it becomes all about my, my finances. It hasn't yet become all about my fitness. Hopefully one, I don't know. So, you know, if you're going to. Miss somewhere, that's probably the space. But, um, but here's the point. Here's the point. You know what Paul got? I have one top-level goal. Lots of other things he was going to do, places he wanted to go, churches he was going to plant. I'm going to get here. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But he had all because, but what Paul had, what he was clear about is I got one aim. And that's to do what Jesus asked me to do. I'm going to fulfill what he's asked me to do. Do you know the... 
that the thing I'd encourage you, you know, if, if we're, to be a church on mission, to be the kind of church, and the kind, it only happens is we all live with this sense of, you know what my number one goal that controls all the other goals is? Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because this is the other thing Paul got. You go back, he says, I want to do the task that the Lord Jesus gave me. You know what Paul had? He had this new sense of authority in his life. He, you know, I love the phrase, the Lord Jesus asked me. Do you know, sometimes we, you know, Lord Jesus, uh, it should remind us of this. You know, to be Lord, to be boss, to be in charge. Part of what drove Paul, part of his heartbeat was Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. And so now my focus is no longer my life and what I want to do. It's what, what does he want me to do? What does Jesus want me to do? He is now the ultimate authority in my life. You know, one of the great challenges we run into at times is obviously we all kind of come into life thinking, you know, I feel like I'd be a pretty good kind of boss in my life. The whole process of coming to know Christ is the process of knowing him as king, as Lord. And my life is to be surrendered to him. And apart from that, we don't actually get to be a part of this incredible life and mission he calls us to. And, and Paul says, and you know what that looked like for him, ultimately that task that Jesus had given him was to testify to the good news of God's grace. To testify to the good news of God's grace. And, and I love this verse. Can you put 24 just back up there as a whole? And we're just going to keep, keep looking at it for a moment. That this is the task Lord Jesus gave me, testifying to the good news of the grace of God. Can I help, you know, when you begin to kind of wrap your mind around this, because I don't think this is a word just for Paul. I don't think God's dream was one guy, one time, one place would adopt this kind of mindset in life. I think God put this in the scriptures because this is where he wants us to find life as well. And when we begin to realize, you know what, actually this, this is what it looks like. It's testifying. Do you know to testify is to both experience something? And then to speak clearly about it. To experience something. And Paul says the good news of God's grace. Paul's like, I experienced God's grace. I knew what it was like without God's grace. I've had an experience, a revelation of God's grace. And now I want to tell everybody about it. Do you know, we are called to be a people of testimony. And that means being a people who experience something of who God is. Of, of his grace, of his work in our lives. And then are willing to go and share that with others. If we ever start trying to talk about that which we have not experienced, it's hollow, it feels burdensome to us, and it lacks power for others. But to testify, just to be a person who goes, man, I have seen, there is life in this. I found life in this. I know it sounds crazy to say my life is worth nothing to me. I know that sounds like, that doesn't feel like a good idea, but there is life in it. It's, it doesn't make sense, but somehow when you actually go, it's not about me anymore. It's about you, God. You experience joy and life and freedom. That's what testifying is all about. You know, my hope and dream for us, you know what, what we realize when you look at this. Why, would, why was Paul the way he was? You know, why did he have this vision for life that was so compelling that it's just like the guy was, you know. And, and when you look at this church and you see the, the kind of influence and impact it had, and when you... Look at the, the depth, the relationship, the just, you just go, man, this is a life I'd love to be part of. And you begin to realize that it's all possible because Paul was a guy who was driven by this sense of mission. It's not about me. I'm looking outward. It's not about what I want. My only aim is what God wants. He's my authority. He's directing me. My conversations with God are not, you know, Paul wasn't like, 
God, I got some great ideas here. Could you bless that? Could you get alongside it? I have a great vision. Got some, some really cool stuff. If you just help me with it. No, Paul's like, Jesus, what do you want from me? And that's all he wanted. He's like, man, and I want to testify to it. I, I want to experience God's grace. I'm going to tell others about it. And when you get a bunch of people in a community of believers who have that kind of mindset and that kind of vision for life and beginning to experience that and share that, man, that, that is a they that I know I want to be part of. That is a they. That is like, that's the vision. That's what God imagines for his church. That's, that's what he calls us to be. But we can't, we will only be a they like that when every one of us is like, yes, this, I say with Paul, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Imagine, you know, the task of testifying to the good news of God. Just imagine that kind of heartbeat. That's this is it. Do you know my... My invitation to each one of us through this series is just to say, you know what, Let, let's, you know, you may be someone who's brand new here. You may be somebody who's been here a long time. You may be uh, n- not even sure about faith or God. Can I tell you something? In this place, in this uh, church, this is a community of followers of Jesus that every one of us is invited into to be able to become a part of a life like this. And, and my hope and is that, you know, even over this month, that as we kind of travel this and journey it together, that, that we would become a place that is fueled by mission, by this kind of heartbeat, this kind of DNA, and become this kind of they. Because someday the stories will be written of, of true North Church in the early 21st century and what they did. And we will only live out and fulfill those stories. As we allow our hearts to beat with the same heartbeat Paul had. This heartbeat right here. You know, I want to invite you to, to do one thing this week. It's kind of part of this process and journey. Can I invite you to memorize this verse? To, to commit it to memory. About two years ago, I, I did that with this particular verse. And this verse was, you know, this is the, the beauty of being able to testify. I can ask you to do that, and I would say, I encourage you to do that. I strongly, you know, if you would memorize this, it will make a difference in your life. And I can say all that because I've experienced it myself. That when you actually begin to allow God's word to speak to you, you know, not just on Sunday or not even just in the morning, but you memorize it. And throughout the day, you begin to ask yourself, you know what, uh, Lord, right now, just, you know, you kind of like listen to it in your mind or you read it back and you go, wait a second, Lord, right now, am I considering my life worth nothing to me or Right now, am I considering my life as sort of like the most important thing? I found it was a verse that would challenge my thoughts, challenge my decisions, challenge my, my thinking, challenge my disappointment, challenge my frustration. And, and God was able to speak to me through it. And it began to, to shape something in my heart. And what I can tell you from experience is to consider your life worth nothing to you is not, it sounds scary, but it actually brings joy and brings freedom. And when you begin to experience that more and more, you're able to, to realize there's nothing greater and just going, you know what, my life, uh, that, that's not what matters most. But man, I want to be a person who can testify to the good news of God's grace. Jesus, what do you got for me? What do you want for me? I want that. I want to encourage you to consider just committing it to memory, letting it begin to speak to you, letting it begin to, to speak into situations, to decisions, to disappointment, to, to goals you're setting. And just say, God, would you speak to me through this? Because this is the word of God, and it's powerful. And you allow him to, to speak it into your life, I guarantee you'll experience some transformation. And as we do that, 
we become that kind of community. I want to just pray for us today. And I want to pray for us in particular that, that the truth of this verse could be something that we could begin to experience more and more in our lives. That, that this verse would begin to, to speak to our thoughts and our actions and who we are and the decisions and goals and all the things we're doing, that they begin to align with God's word instead of sometimes the words in our head or the words around us. Uh, and if you're a person today who, you know, you go, yes, I want that. I want this verse to be something I begin to experience in my life. I want to pray for you this morning. I want, why don't you bow your heads just where we are. And as I pray this morning, if you have a sense that, you know what, I, I don't know everything that will mean, but I know this. I want this to be true of me. I want this to be my heartbeat as well. I want to experience the life, the joy, the freedom, the purpose all the things that this, this kind of way of life that we see in this verse has to offer. Just, I know I want that in my life. I'd love to pray especially for you this morning. Just have a, a sense. It won't be fair, but if you know you want that, I want to pray directly for you and just ask that God would begin that right now. Beginning to allow his word, his vision for your life to begin to do its work in you. And if you know distinctly that that's for you today, you may have been real encouraged by it, but if you know distinctly, no, I know I want that today. You know, while we just kind of sit with our eyes bowed, I, I just want to encourage you just to stand right where you are. And I invite you, even now, you can just stand up, and I want to pray for you directly. I just have a sense. There's some people that God actually wants to do that in your life today, and he wants to begin to shift some things in your heart and in your mind, and I want to pray especially for you. You can hold your hands out right where you are. Lord Jesus, we know and believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I ask that, Lord, you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the lives of those who are standing, begin to release the power of this truth, the power of your word in their lives. I pray that, Lord, they would begin to experience more and more joy and more and more of actually your vision and your values for their life as they surrender to you, as they considered their own life worth nothing to them and experienced the fullness of life in Christ instead. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be able to speak clearly into their lives, giving them a sense of the tasks and goals and assignments you have for them. I pray that, Lord, they'd know a sense of clarity around a life lived to bear witness to you. I pray that, Lord, anything that you've been speaking to them about this morning or wanting to shift or adjust in any way, that, Lord, by the power of your spirit, you just begin to do it. Just release your work in their lives. May it bear much fruit. We ask it in the name and the authority and the power of Jesus. Amen. I invite everybody to stand. We're just going to stand where we are. and.